What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you so much for listening. And I can guarantee you that by the end of this episode, you're going to be thanking me for creating this awesome interview with my good buddy, Drew Boa. He and I have been friends and colleagues for a couple of years now. Uh, we weren't friends before. We just we met uh, very early on. He was just starting to help people online after a, a year of kind of doing his own practice out of his place. And, um, and I think I had maybe put out like five posts about helping guys get free of porn. I don't think Deep Clean was even quite named yet. And it's just amazing to see where God has taken us and the way we've been able to support each other over the years. I've had the privilege of being on his podcast, which is called Husband Material. Um, gosh, I think I just did my third interview with them. And uh, this is technically his second time on here. The first interview that I did with Drew was before I had even launched the podcast. And it took me like a year and a half to actually release that episode because I kind of delayed um, podcasting altogether. But that's another story for another day. Uh, the point is Drew is here and I'm so excited. And um, it, it was just such a good interview. We, we got into the subject of childhood trauma. That's what this was all about. And I was very resistant to working through my own trauma, just in general. I just didn't feel like I needed to do it. I kind of just felt like, you know, Jesus has done his work on the cross. I'm a new creation. It's all looked after. We don't really need to go into the past. And I did not experience really any long-term freedom or health in my relationships or anything else that I like majorly attribute to my quality of life today until I confronted my trauma. And so we talk about what it looks like to actually deal with it. Uh, Drew gets very practical. And in fact, he, he kind of puts me on the hot seat a little bit. And uh, or as I like to say, I put myself on the altar. And, um, and we went into one of my own childhood traumas. And he kind of uh, really tied the experience together very nicely. And uh, one thing I loved about this interview is, you know, you might hear uh, going through childhood trauma, and it just sounds so daunting, and intense and um, messy and everything else. And Drew just has this really amazingly simple way of tackling the subject and and I would say just introducing you to it without very much threat. So I think regardless of where you are, you might be like ready, uh, chomping at the bit, just being like, yes, I want to heal from my childhood trauma. Or uh, you might be you know on the other end and saying, okay, I don't even know if this is something I really need to tackle. Um, or somewhere in between, Either way, I think uh, you're going to find this interview very valuable. Uh, it gets really emotional at one point, actually. We really just kind of uh, got to a pretty tender spot. And man, it was, um, it was special. So I'm, I'm very proud to share this interview uh, with my friend Drew Boa. Uh, in case you don't know who he is, Drew is the founder of husbandmaterial.com, where they offer community courses and coaching to Christian men outgrowing porn. He's also the author of Redeemed Sexuality. And as I mentioned, he hosts a fantastic podcast called Husband Material. Um, this is an absolute gem of, a gem of an interview, guys. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here's my interview with Drew Boa. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right. I am here with my main man, Drew Boa. And uh, man, I, I mean, over the last couple of years, I've had the privilege of meeting tons of people in the space, forming a bunch of colleagues and kind of collaborative relationships. But Drew, you're the OG, man. You reached out to me like way, it feels like so long ago. And um, I was actually mentioning this before we hit record, but you you did a little expert level trick on Instagram, which is that you did not just write me a message. You sent me an audio message. And as soon as you started talking, I was like, who is this guy? He's so warm, so friendly. And I'm so grateful, man, that you reached out all those years ago. Uh, I've had the privilege of being on your podcast a couple of times. Uh, you have a phenomenal podcast called Husband Material. And it's a real honor to have you back here on Unleash the Man Within. Thank you, Sathya. <laughs> this is going to be fun, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I think a bunch of my audience has heard your name because I reference you a ton in my episodes. And I think they probably just encountered your stuff elsewhere anyway. You've really established husband material as a force to be reckoned with in the porn addiction recovery space for Christian men. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days and you know what's the latest greatest on husband material? These days, 
I am hanging out with little kids, a four-year-old, a one-year-old, and then I go to work and I hang out with a bunch of little kids in a way um, because, because I emphasize what we're going to be talking about today is childhood trauma and healing that healing the inner child. And so I meet with guys who might be 20 years old or 50 years old. But within us all, there's this little boy who needs to be loved. And so uh, sometimes I feel like in my community, I'm wrangling a lot of little boys and trying to help them get along <laughs> and, and trying to help them grow up. Yeah, it's really cool. And you do it so well, man. Like I'm, I've always just been so, so impressed, not only with, um, I think, the way you're conveying the work you're doing and the process of you know, loving the little boy inside you, healing the inner child, um, however you want to phrase that. But you have a lot of grace and I think a lot of patience for your guys as well. And as we know, you don't get into this space unless you have some stamina emotionally um, because it's it's required, you know, and it's necessary not just to get, get through day to day, but to really be effective and make a difference in people's lives. I want to jump right in. So we're talking about childhood trauma and I asked you to talk about the subject because um, admittedly, I just haven't gone super deep into it. There have been certain pockets, I would say, but I, I thought we could really link childhood trauma and, and everything that comes with it to sexual misbehavior. And, um, and so we're just going to jump in. And I, I want to start with that question, actually, which is how does childhood trauma actually play into somebody who's struggling with compulsive pornography or masturbation or whatever else it might be? So let me frame it all in terms of development. When we are born, sexual development is already happening. As mm. wild as that sounds, it doesn't start at puberty. It doesn't start when we have our first orgasm. It starts way before that. Some people would say even before birth. And, and so as we grow up, we advance through different stages of sexual development. And the final stage is maturity, mature management. My sexuality is, is not something that I'm constantly trying to avoid. It's also not something that I'm constantly indulging. It's, it's just a good, beautiful part of me that, that I love and that I lead, that, that I'm able to manage it. Um, but there are all these stages along the way. And what happens with trauma, or let's just even say suffering. If somebody says, oh, I don't have any trauma, we all suffer. We mm. all experience loss. We all experience damage in this world. And as we grow up and we suffer, sometimes we get stuck. And that development is inhibited. Mm. So the part of me that feels stuck in unwanted sexual behavior in porn is not the mature adult part of me. It's a much younger, vulnerable, hurting part. Part that needed something that it didn't get. Okay, really well explained. So uh, there's two things I wanna ask you as a follow-up. The one, I'm really glad you mentioned it, which is what are we talking about when we say trauma? Because yeah. I, had, I had a moment, uh, this isn't actually even that long ago. This is like maybe two or three years ago. And I was talking to a mentor, spiritual leader, and he was actually my boss at the time, and telling him about some um, church drama that I had dealt with in a previous season of my life. And he's going, he's like, wow, he's like, that sounds really traumatic. And I was like, traumatic? No, 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 it wasn't, you know, like, I'm not going to slap such a strong word like trauma on that, because to me, it, it felt so extreme. Um, and admittedly, I was just a little bit uneducated on the subject. But he was like, no, 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 it's not, it, it's not this big, bad, scary thing. Like you didn't have to be in a fatal car crash for it to be trauma. It's just, it sounds like based on how you were responding that you were experiencing trauma. And um, it, I, I think, I, I don't think I'm the only person who might have that paradigm. Can you just help people maybe identify what we're talking about when we say trauma? Yes, absolutely. When we have experiences that are overwhelming, too much for our system to handle. And we are alone in the middle of it. Hmm. Okay. It becomes traumatic. It is experienced as trauma. Even if nothing bad was actually happening to me, if I perceive 
if I experience this event as overwhelming, and if I experience myself as completely alone, then that is going to have an impact on my development, especially okay. if you're a little kid, because that's when we are most formed by our experiences. Now, when you're an adult, uh, experiences are still impactful, but when you're a little kid and your brain is just forming, it makes a huge difference. Like if you break your arm when you're two years old versus when you're 20 years old. Um, right. And that's why childhood okay. trauma is the most important kind that we need to heal. Yeah, that's really helpful because I, I think like just to put myself on the altar a little bit, like when I look back at that experience that I was recalling to him, um, you could look around and there were actually people around me and people I was talking to and everything else. But I did actually feel alone in the experience. Right. And it wasn't it's not something that like I'm going to necessarily tell to the world and they're going to be like, wow, how did you ever overcome that? Yeah. But it was it was an overwhelming experience and I didn't know how to integrate what I was going through. So it kind of ticks those boxes. Um, and I've also seen and I've, I think I've maybe even experienced where two people will experience the same event. One person walks away not overwhelmed, not impacted. They're able to integrate what happened and process it. They don't feel alone. But the other person is totally scarred by the experience and, you know, literally traumatized. And sometimes the other person is going, well, how could that be traumatizing for you? Like it was so, it wasn't, they were just, you know, they just raised their voice or whatever it might be. So that is a really helpful definition to make, I think everybody listening aware, we all have trauma, right? Yes. Like we've all, we've all dealt with it. So, okay. So, uh, so I guess in a perfect scenario, you know, a guy matures gradually and eventually reaches his place of maturation, which mm -hmm. of course is not, is not, not generally happening in today's day and age. Um, yeah. Go and ahead. Specifically, specifically with our sexuality, with our sexual development, especially if you're introduced to porn at a young age, it was overwhelming and you were totally alone. Like, how are you right. supposed to internalize that? How are you supposed to digest that experience if sex is not something we talk about, if I don't have support and resources, if all my teaching at church makes me feel like I can't talk about this with anyone? I mean, mm. all of that with the overwhelming, super normal stimulation of porn is a recipe for what we call developmental trauma, which is when you get stuck at that specific age. And is, is it that the, the trauma literally just stops you from developing? Like it kind of puts like a, I don't know, a plug in the faucet, so to speak, or what, how does that, what's the interplay there? Well, the rest of me is still developing. Um, right. Physically, mentally, um, but there's a part of me, there's a part of me uh, that is still back there. Okay. Got it. Okay. So yeah. then, so it's that, that part of you that stays immature, yeah. undeveloped and yeah. that kind of thing. Exactly. Fascinating. Now, the, the other thing I want to comment on, sorry, you just gave such a good framework right off the bat. Now I have all these questions about it. Um, you mentioned that, that sexual development actually happens maybe from birth, like right off the yeah. bat. It's not, this isn't like starting at puberty kind mm -hmm. of thing, which obviously any guy who's listening probably knows that because they likely got yeah. exposed to porn before they even hit puberty. Mm -hmm. What, what, what would like healthy sexual development look like if, if it did go well in let's say the first five years of life? Yeah, well, it starts with connection, attachment with your primary caregiver or your primary caregivers, having a bond with another human being. I mean, that's the basis of mm. all brain development, including sexuality is as Kurt Thompson says, we come into this world looking for someone who's looking for us as babies. Wow. Wow. That's profound. Yeah. So intimacy is really where it all starts. Um, yes. And then from there, the next stage identified by Clifford and Joyce Penner is touch, safe touch okay. versus unsafe touch. Um, and then learning to talk about my body. Hey, I have yeah. this thing called a penis and testicles and then blessing it and they're good. Right. And they have a purpose and they're beautiful and they need to be protected. They need boundaries too. Yeah. And so all of those are really important. And, and if, if we save sexuality for a you know, conversation 
one time when you're 13 doing a passport to purity, you miss all those crucial stages. Hmm. Yeah, that is, that's really profound. And I, I guess we're talking to, you know, primarily faith-based men, you know, Christian men. And I guess I'm just thinking it's possible that, that generally speaking, like attachment takes place. It's probably not perfect, but attachment's happening. Yep. Uh, they're getting, they're getting some, some touch and, you know, like that, that physical intimacy that's required as well to develop. I'm wondering if a lot of the breakdown happens when it comes to actually verbalization, being able to yes. talk about sexuality. Would that be a fair assumption, you think, Drew? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, because especially if you grow up in an evangelical church or an evangelical culture, um, we have this thing called purity culture where <laughs> yeah. uh, we don't talk about our sexuality. And um, in fact, we're kind of ashamed of it and we, and we try to ignore it and we try to avoid it and maybe even attack it with a Bible mm. verse or, or with something to try to make it go away. The, the, the typical strategy from the book, Every Man's Battle, was bounce your eyes. If you have a sexual attraction or urge uh, and you see somebody who's really beautiful, just bounce your eyes right off of them, um, which has its own problems. But the point is that, uh, that we, we have this culture, unfortunately, which is sexually immature. And so yeah. um, it, it's by no fault of, of our own that we just weren't given the support, the guidance, and the attunement um, that we need in this crucial area. I mean, it's very possible for parents to be very present, very loving, very helpful in many areas of life, except sexuality. Yeah, yeah. And you, you made a good distinction earlier, which is that uh, on the flip side, maybe you had parents who were actually super vocal about it, but didn't really communicate the boundaries, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, whatever else. So like, I think a majority probably are more on the like, we didn't talk about it. Um, but for those of you who maybe were way on the other side, just know that you have to strike a balance there of what's appropriate and it's obviously age dependent and everything else. Yeah. yeah. And I want to yeah. make this really practical for some people so that it doesn't just sound like theory. Um, Chris Bruno uh, leads a ministry that I really like. It's called the Restoration Project. And he distinguishes between two types of trauma. Um, some might say capital T trauma. Some might say little t trauma. Um, he says that you can go through a fire and you can go through a drought. And they're equally devastating. Hmm. But the drought might even be more devastating because you would think it was normal. Wow. So if you have some kind of overt abuse sexually, physically, you would experience that as a fire. It's overwhelming, right? But if you experience a drought, like no one's talking about sexuality, no one's helping me name my emotions. Uh, in fact, no one's even there when I come home from school every day and I'm all alone. That is a desert. Hmm. And it will kill you, but you won't even know it. Wow. That's profound. So, so you're kind of saying, Drew, that maybe we shouldn't be using these terms, capital T, <laughs> little t trauma, because in, in some ways, what we're actually, like really, the reality is it's just about your response. It doesn't matter if it was big or small, and we would make a huge mistake by calling it little t and maybe not giving it as much attention as it deserved or that kind of thing if we try to categorize. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense to compare natural disasters. If one person goes through a fire, <laughs> the other person's been through a tornado, and somebody else is in a drought or lives in a desert for 20 years, and, and there's a locust plague. I mean, how are you supposed to compare these things? What really matters is, like you said, our response. Yeah, right. So I, it's really interesting to me because I guess that it seems like there's a very strong social component to defining trauma. Because if you did have healthy connection going through all this, at least you're not lonely. You may have, you may be totally overwhelmed in your nervous system and you can't actually respond appropriately. But there's a very social component. And now as you're kind of clarifying here, even just the distinction or maybe lack thereof that, that exists across the trauma spectrum, what you're kind of saying is that the social component is what maybe would drive us to say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Like at least you weren't, you know, so-and-so like or whatever it might be. Um, but really, we have to just acknowledge it's our response that counts. And if you had the response, it's trauma, period. 
Yeah, there was this really interesting research study done on the survivors of the September 11th tragedy in New York City. And they found that people who went through that horrific situation of the Twin Towers falling down, if they had a strong network of social support where they had people who were with them they had this secure attachment. They they had people they could count on, people who would call mm. them, people who would eat dinner with them, people who would go for a walk with them, and, and they were connected. Largely, they came out of it intact. People huh. who didn't have that dissolved. Wow. Wow. Okay. So there's a huge social component, not only to the experience of trauma, but it sounds like the recovery of it, which obviously we're going to get into. But I did want to ask, uh, so, you know, somebody's listening. They're saying, okay, Drew, you got me. Like, I know I developed in pretty much every other area, but I know that sexually I never got that development because of trauma and whatever else. How does somebody maybe, or maybe, maybe they don't even know what the trauma is, but maybe yeah. they can just understand there's clearly a discrepancy. I'm a grown man, but sexually I'm still immature. How might they go about that process of starting to identify the trauma points? Well, in the Seven Pillars Workbook by Ted Roberts, he says, I want you to write down 10 most painful experiences of your life. And that's one way to do it. Sure. I find a little bit more efficiency in asking a very simple question, what triggers you most powerfully? Wow. In the present. like. Maybe when a friend doesn't text you back. For many of us, that would be disappointing or somewhat uncomfortable. But what if for you it's devastating? Hmm. What, if, what if it bothers you so much you just can't stop thinking about it all day? Huh. When your emotional reaction or your sexual reaction is disproportionate to the circumstances, you know that... It's not limited to these circumstances. You're reacting to something else, something that's stored in your body. We call this implicit memory or body memory. And that's the mm -hmm. part of you that still feels like it's stuck. Okay. That we I, referenced really earlier. Yeah, 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 really helpful. Yeah, we, we have this expression, um, if, you, if you have a level 10 reaction to a level 2 incident, <laughs> there's usually a little bit more going on underneath the surface. Yeah. So that, that's really helpful. So, okay, so somebody identifies their trigger, Drew. So they're like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm, I'm triggered in a moment. Mm -hmm. What's, what would be the next step? Or what, how do you link that to the trauma? Very simple question. When have I felt this way before? Okay. Maybe you don't get that text message and you feel alone and overwhelmed. Okay, when have I felt that way before? Maybe, maybe when somebody didn't respond to a text message. I'm even thinking about my own story about text messages that I sent and didn't get a response back. And it was because the girl didn't like me and she was afraid to say it. Huh. Wow. That right. just came to me in this moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. But you would never know, right? Like, and you're kind of making that own story in your head. Yeah. So that kind of trigger might send me back to 13 years old. But then you think about that 13 year old who's, who's texting someone hoping for a response. Does this girl like me? I mean, even that could be going hmm. back to an earlier age. I, I kind of call right. it trigger inception. Even that could be going back to a three-year-old <laughs> who was just longing for connection, maybe with my sister. Right. And it wasn't there. Right. So there can be triggers within triggers and, and they're all connected and every trigger tells a story. Yeah. Okay. Really helpful. I know one, one question that um, I've heard you mention before, and I certainly mentioned it to my guys as well, is it, it can be helpful as well to ask when was the first time I felt this. Um, but I know that sometimes they can't necessarily think that far back. So is it okay mm -hmm. if a memory comes back from when you were, you know, let's say even 18 years old, you're basically an adult. Is it okay if that's a starting point? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your body knows. Your body knows what, <laughs> what it needs to reveal to you. Um, mm. here's, here's an example of, of how body memories can work. Okay, so, Sathya, what's one of your favorite songs? 
Ooh, favorite songs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I'm in Jamaica right now, and I've been spending some time with my brother-in-law. Um, and we've been on, like, this big kick from, like, all the good music of the early 2000s. Yes. So there was a band called Finger Eleven, and uh, just the worst name for them, what we're talking about today, but I've been listening to them a ton. <laughs> and they have a song called Ocean Avenue, and I have been really digging that song lately. So I'll, I'll put that one up. Okay, so you're loving that song, Ocean Avenue. Um, and when you're listening to that song, what does it remind you of? What does it take you back Honestly, to? Honestly, bro, I didn't even think we were going to go here. Because I told you I told you, you could, ask, <laughs> you could ask me questions about trauma from my past if you wanted to. Um, it actually takes me back to one of my childhood friends. His name was Chucky. I actually talk about him mm-hmm. um, in a bunch of different places. But he was, he was my friend who died by suicide. And he loved Finger Eleven, and he loved that song, and we used to listen to it together all the time. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, I read your book that just came out, and about the story of Chucky, and oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So there's a reason. There's a story behind that song. And your body remembers. This is always happening to us, whether we realize it or not. And that's an example of a really positive memory. Um, And yet there's also, you know, there's also some suffering attached to it. Big time, yeah. Yeah, and so so with our sexuality, with with our sexual attractions and urges, you know, when we have that level 10 reaction or we we have that level 10 emotional reaction, just notice whatever comes up. You don't have to hmm. think through it. You just feel it. I mean, that's what you just did. You didn't even have to think about it. Your body told you what you needed to know. That's true. Yeah. You know? right. And so that's, that's the kind of work that we can do to discover. So it's very simple. It's very intuitive. You listen to your body. There's this great book called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And that book that explains book. how this works and, and how the body can, can store these memories. Um, and accessing them is a lot easier than you think. And, and you just did it, Sathya. You know, when, when I asked you that question, it came naturally. Yeah, yeah, that was really powerful, actually. It's quite profound. So um, I'm, I'm happy to keep, like, to kind of keep myself here on the altar if it's helpful um, for my next question, which is what, what do you do to heal it? Is it... Is it as simple as just identifying the traumas or is there a process here to kind of work through it? What does that look like? Yeah, after you have revealed the trauma, you have more self-awareness. Then what we need is self-compassion. So I'm aware of what Mm. happened to me. Maybe I'm aware of how it's affecting me. Um, Once I've understood and located, for example, a 12-year-old me, or, or six-year-old me, then there are all kinds of different ways to, to do this, but how can I be loved in that place? How can I love myself? How can I receive God's love in that place? How can I invite mm. others to be with me there and to have a little bit of resolution um, that can help that part of me grow up? Um, yeah, that's really good. So it, it's a little bit open, I guess. There's not a formula here. It's yeah. It's so it out. there are lots of different types of trauma therapy that have come out that are really awesome with this. There's EMDR. There's IFS. Brain spotting is one that I'm kind of getting excited about. And obviously, inner child work is the type that has really helped yeah. me a lot. That that has explained my specific sexual fantasies and fetishes. But more than that, it has allowed me to come to myself with compassion rather than contempt. Hmm. Can you give an yeah. example? So um, specifically, I have had a sexual fetish for braces and orthodontics that I never understood. I always thought it was weird. I thought, well, maybe God just created me like this, or maybe it was totally random, but I never told anybody about it, and I didn't like that I liked this stuff, but it was so arousing to me at the same time. Um, So ashamed and aroused, Hmm. and that cycle is really what kept me trapped in porn. 
And even after I achieved over a year of freedom, I relapsed and it was because that arousal was still there, even though I'd had all kinds of strategies to manage it. Um, huh. Until I watched this video with Dr. Patrick Carnes where he talks about how our sexual development can get stunted. And I realized that's what happened to me. That's what happened to me when I was 13. And that's when all the girls had braces at my school. So, of course. I mean, now you <laughs> talk about it and it seems so simple. Well, to me, it was bizarre and strange and weird. Um, and so there was a 13-year-old boy, and I would say that is the point in my life when I felt most overwhelmed and alone. That wow. is the point in my life when I moved from Toronto, Canada, where I was growing, I was thriving, I was loving it. I was at an all-boys school. It was perfect for me. Um, no way. Were you at UCC, Upper Canada College. <laughs> yeah. Ah, UCC. There you and go. And then okay, nice. I moved to a large co-ed public school in Dallas, Texas. Okay, wow. And every day I came home from school relieved that it was over and I retreated into my room and that's where I had most of my first orgasms at my computer and it was hmm. looking at girls from school looking at these people who I thought were completely out of my league or going back to the girls from the all-girls school in Toronto and masturbating to them and wishing that I could have continued to get to know them. And so that really burned wow. into my brain. What did that boy need? What did little Drew need? Well, more than anything, he just needs love. He needs to be hugged. He needs to be accepted. He needs to be affirmed. Yeah. And, and the developmental task for me at that time was just accepting my feelings. No one was helping me do that. I grew up in a family where this whole concept of counseling and therapy was for other people. Um, and <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that it was even possible for someone to just be with me and not be trying to fix me, not be trying to solve my problems, not be trying to give me some spiritual truth to make it all go away. And so, hmm. so what I do a lot with my clients is once we find that boy, then I facilitate a kind of encounter where you can go be his older brother as your current self, as an adult. Um, and simply listen to him, love him, and then lead him. Um, and a lot of times we invite Jesus into that too. Um, yeah. Because yeah. he's the one. He's the one who can truly give us those desires that are underneath the fantasies. Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. And did, for you, Drew, like uh, just using this example you've given, which I think is really relatable, even if it's mm -hmm. not the specifics, um, I think we all have these certain unusual things that maybe we feel drawn to or attracted to fetish or not and kind of wonder like did god just make me this way is this just the way i am and what you're conveying is really powerful was it was it overnight like did you kind of have this discovery you were able to give yourself the moment to kind of validate acknowledge the feelings and and find that compassion towards yourself or is this ongoing are you yeah. still doing it today what, what does it look like once you start to kind of make some steps? Man, here? making that discovery was a life-changing moment for me. Because rather than constantly trying to avoid my sexuality or attack it, I started to appreciate it. I was like, wow, that makes a lot of wow. sense that I would want those things, um, that I would be drawn to those things. Um, and that helps tremendously. And then since then, it's been a journey. So... Now that, now that I've had this big uh, mindset shift, it opened the door to a lot deeper work. And part of the dance of healing is that as you heal, more will be revealed. So the more you do this work, you might discover things that you didn't even know were there. And that happened to me in 2020. Nice. 
Going through leadership training with Jay Stringer, I discovered sexual abuse as part of my story. And wow. <laughs> it's kind of ironic that going through a training would lead me to need to get counseling and to receive support. Um, so that's been a big part of my journey. And I mean, when you discover that kind of stuff, it can be a recipe for relapse if you don't have some of this foundation. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, it is, it is the great irony, isn't it? Like the only way you and I get better at helping people in this area is by going through the work ourselves and identifying those areas, some that we know and some that we don't. You mentioned something that I, that I'm, I'm really glad you did. Cause I think this is going to bring everything full circle, which is that as you are identifying these traumas and these parts of your past that have contributed in loving yourself, validating yourself, and just like you said, embracing it by embracing it, it sounds like you're permitting yourself to develop sexually. Like the trauma in some ways is going to stop it for whatever reason or, or another, but now you're giving yourself a chance to, you know, celebrate, embrace. And in the process, I imagine giving people the permission to maybe compensate for that, that misdevelopment. Would that be, is that a fair way to put it? What, what is that? What happens yeah. there? In some ways you're pushing play where trauma push pause and you're writing a new right. chapter of your story that got interrupted back there. Hmm. You know, it's like we've been <laughs> replaying it over and over. Um, when you do this work, it helps you to resume. Yeah. That's really well said. Okay, so I have I have two questions that I for sure want to ask you, but then we'll we'll see where these go. So I guess my one question is: so maybe somebody's listened to this, you know, and uh, I know that there's you have people in one camp who are like, I don't know if I really have anything traumatic. Maybe I do, um, but they're kind of like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if this is really what's contributing. And then you're gonna have a camp of people who I imagine know there's trauma back there, but maybe are like, Drew, this is like. You are poking around some very tender places in my heart. How, how could someone at least just get started if, let's say, their safety level around this whole subject is relatively yeah. low? Well, the simplest way to start is to find a photo of yourself from a young age. Spend some time with it. Maybe you find a photo from the age where you began using pornography. And as you find that photo from a family member, or scrapbook, or uh, even from your phone or, or from your Facebook account in the old days, look into his eyes. Listen to his heart. Just be with him. And maybe ask yourself, how does Jesus feel toward that boy? What expression wow. is on his face? And let that melt you a little bit. Um, feel the difference in your body. Feel any areas of tension, any areas of discomfort. You know, there was a time when I felt a lot of aggression towards a part of myself. Um, hmm. The part that was very attached to my mom, overly attached even, I would say. I didn't like that kid. I was disgusted by him. Hmm. And um, part, of, part of this work is learning to befriend all that is within me with curiosity and with compassion. And, and you don't need to involve other people quite yet. You can just start with a photo of yourself. And you know what? If you don't feel ready to go to a photo of yourself at that age when it all started for you, then go to a photo of yourself at a time of life that you really enjoyed. A time when you did feel safe. A time when you were satisfied or successful. And just start there. And see how that feels for you. Okay. That can provide a a nice little introduction so that you don't have to start with some of the the deep end.
I love that. That's very, that, that is, I mean, just about anybody could do that. And I think that's, that's really helpful. Cause I, I know for, for me, even like when I think back to my, my healing journey where I was, you know, healing the inner child and, and working through things from my past, it really did take me time to get there. And I was fortunate to be in an environment where people I trusted were also engaging in the process. So that really, I would say expedited my safety. Uh, but I know otherwise it would have honestly it would have taken me years probably to just soften up to the idea because I kind of grew up in a similar environment myself where like we just you didn't do those kinds of things you know it was so shameful and there's right. so much stigma and everything else yeah, associated with it. It's so easy to hate ourselves as adults or or to to really be so sick and tired of the part of me that's sexually acting out. But when we reframe it a little bit and give you a picture of this boy who is still showing up all these years later, it has a way of softening. It has a way mm. of allowing God's love to come in because how could you not love that little guy? I mean, you know, that's where it all started. His sexuality was being formed and deformed, um, you know, by things he couldn't control. And so, so that's a big part of, of what it looks like to heal and even if, even if you're not really comfortable with this whole concept of the, the inner child, um, certainly, certainly, we all recognize the need to regulate when we're triggered. <laughs> you know, when we have those level 10 yeah. reactions. Um, and one of my favorite little phrases I say to myself, I teach my clients, is that when you get triggered emotionally, or sexually, take a few deep breaths and just say, hello, childhood. <laughs> Very simple. Smart. You're so smart. I love that. Yeah. Really cool. What do you so, hear me say? Okay. I have... What's Sorry. that? Sorry. I, I was just like, so, so what strikes you about that? Well, I guess it's just, it's just so simple, right? Yeah. Like I think... I think that's sort of, um, you, you hear about going into your childhood and you're trying to finagle around all the memories and experiences and stuff. And I, I think that kind of simple profundity is like really useful in this context, just to be like, hello, childhood. Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> just face it head on. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this big daunting thing. You don't have to pull right. out your journal and start scribbling <laughs> down. Like, just face it in the moment, you know? Yeah. I love that. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's really good. So... This is something I've fallen into, and this is why I'm asking you this question, which is when you, when you do embark on this journey, as you said earlier, as you heal, more is revealed. And how do you kind of, I guess, tether the line so that you're regularly healing and you're becoming acquainted with traumas and, and the scores that your body has been keeping, so to speak, mm -hmm. but not get so consumed by it that you just feel like you're dragging every single day because it's another trauma and there's more to heal and more mm -hmm. of my, me to love from my childhood. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how do you kind of, I guess, find that line so that you're developing, but you're not getting um, overwhelmed by it? Okay, this is kind of profound. All right. You ready for this? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. I okay. think I'm ready. Your suffering becomes your superpower. When we discover those childhood wounds of being rejected, being too weak, being alone, being unworthy, being powerless. When you can understand exactly what it is that you felt when you were a kid. And for me, I'll just say rejection. I felt rejection over and over, rejection, rejection, rejection. That has now become my superpower because God has used that suffering to shape my heart into someone who is very good at helping others feel accepted because I never want anyone to feel the rejection that I felt. So as you reveal some of these wounds and you see how you suffered, that actually in a redemptive way can become your strength. And then as you get that need met for me, as I get that need for acceptance met, then I can overflow acceptance to others. 
And so that word wow. overflow means that I don't get caught up into too much introspection thinking, what do I need? What do I need? Um, I, I need more acceptance from this person, from that person. Well, yeah, I mean, that is a need, but it's not all about me. It's not self-centered. Rather, right. it's self-giving. It's getting to a place of overflowing to be able to offer others what I didn't get. That is really good. So now I have another follow-up question, which is how do you know when you're in that place of overflow? Because I can imagine people in their zeal are like, oh my gosh, I found this thing and I'm healing and I want to help other people in it um, or that kind of thing. How do, you, how do you know when you're in overflow? Is, is there, I don't know, is there anything to well, it? Well, there's a fine line between um, accepting somebody because I want them to accept me. Um, and, ex and accepting <laughs> yeah. somebody just with no strings attached, just pure generosity. I mean, Sathya, for you, what was one of those mm. lies or what was one of those wounds that you received as a kid? Well, I actually, the, the one that comes up often for me is I was in kindergarten. Um, there was a classmate. I still remember his name. His name was Torian. And he just tried everything he could to intimidate me and i have no idea why i never picked on him or said i didn't even say anything to him but um but he always tried to intimidate me and and it worked i was always scared of him very conscious i still remember being in our little coat room tying my shoes and kind of looking to see where he was and um and he was never even actually like he didn't bully me like physically but verbally he was always just trying to impose himself Sounds like you felt unsafe. Definitely. Or yes, kind of very threatened. Powered over by him. I mean, yeah. Tell me if this resonates with you. It seems to me, Cynthia, like you are an extremely safe person. And you're someone who empowers others. Yeah. Yeah, like Try that's best, your strength. Yeah. That's your superpower. Um and, and mm. I find a lot of purpose and meaning when, when we can turn the suffering into a superpower. And um, the, the work of revealing our trauma actually ends up not just being like, oh, I have to do this. It's like, no, I get to do this and discover who I really am. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can speak for myself and say, like, even when I look at the way I, I relate with my wife, one of the complaints I used to always get in my previous romantic relationships was that I was very um, like charming and endearing and early stages of dating were always really fun but then it was very hard to actually reach me as a person and a huge part of it was because I I resisted all of this kind of inner work I, I had heard rumblings about it but always thought I was above it or I wasn't that traumatized or you know it was all that kind of stuff and um, I look at the way I am able to relate with my wife now and the kind of emotional connection we have, which is like the like plumb line, of course, to all the other avenues that you'll connect uh, with another person in a marriage, especially. And I'm, I'm so grateful. Like it really, it, like it really has made me a better person. And I think, I, I think what you're saying is really profound, which is that if people are willing to go on this journey, it's quite likely that the areas mm -hmm. where they feel stunted, the areas where they feel like no matter how hard I try, I can't seem to get past this or get a breakthrough they'll probably find those areas they're able to move forward with relative ease when you do start to uncover these traumas and actually yeah. process them. I love the way you just said it. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, hey, you are, you're always up to something cool at, at Husband Material, and I know some of these guys who have heard you are going to want to connect a little bit. Uh, what, are some, what are you up to? Uh, like what, what can people expect from you if they connect with you, and what's the best way yeah. for them to do well, that? Well, the latest news is that I have completely renovated Husband Material Academy, um, which is our yeah, all-in-one solution for Christian men outgrowing porn, and that is now available when this episode comes out. So I'm really excited about that brand new video course and uh, all the coaching that we've been doing as well. And you can find out all the details at husbandmaterial.com. Perfect. Drew, thanks again, thanks man. Great to have Love you. Love you, man. Love you too, bro. Okay, well, there you have it. That was my interview with Drew Boa. Uh, you know, it's funny, right at the end, after we hit record, he was like, oh, dude, I don't know why I said that at the end. Sorry, I hope I didn't mess up the recording. And I was like, bro, 
um, you can say whatever you want. You know, like we we keep these these podcasts super candid because I I want you guys to feel like it was just a friend, two friends chatting, um, and you know, kind of poking around and being curious about each other's stories and experiences and. Uh, that's certainly what this felt like for me. I hope that's what came across. And um, that's why when we said love you, man, at the end, uh, we kept that in. You know, we're, we're not trying to hide anything here. But, um, but all of that is to say is I, I hope this has at least brought some awareness of how much childhood trauma could be playing into your life and, and your sexual development and your healing and your growth and your freedom from porn and unwanted sexual behavior. I, I, I just um, I, I was taking notes and I really learned a lot from Jew uh, in the experience. And we put links in the show notes to everything, but if I, if I could encourage you to get your hands on uh, one thing, number one, it would be go check out his, uh, his podcast. I've actually put links in the show notes to my three interviews on there. If you want to start with someone familiar or if you're a little bit sick of me, he's got other phenomenal guests on there all the time. And the other thing that you should definitely do is join his free community. It's husbandmaterialmen.co, I believe that's going to take you there. I'll put the link in the show notes, but he's got a free online platform, uh, online community of men. And uh, it's just, again, another great forum for you uh, to plug in. And, uh, you know, we have our own forum as well. Uh, It's called Deep Clean Inner Circle. It's just a free group on Facebook. And we're just getting the ball rolling there, but we are going to start doing some interviews and um, in live trainings on a probably weekly basis. So uh, that's completely free of charge. Uh, it's Deep Clean Inner Circle. You can find look it up on Facebook. It should turn up. Uh, links in the show notes for that too. So much love to you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a phenomenal day and I'll talk to you very, very soon. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance and insight in your recovery journey i highly recommend subscribing to unleash the man within thanks for listening i look forward to connecting with you very very soon the information opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast by Cynthia sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical clinical or any other form of professional advice any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk